Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, how to handle meeting killers. Chapter six, the multitasker. Here we go. Today, we're going to share with you our guidance on how to address behaviors in meetings that reduce meeting effectiveness. This particular show is based on a popular 2012 Wall Street Journal article, and this chapter deals with handling a multitasker and also reviews some of the journal's general meeting guidance. Now, Mark, the the Wall Street Journal article was headlined entitled, Meet the Meeting Killers, and talked about a whole bunch of different behaviors in meetings that can ruin meetings. And um, for those of you who don't know, it's it was the 15 May 2012 edition and was available to non-subscribers at the Wall Street Journal website, um, at least for a time. So you may want to check it out if you haven't already. Now, we've recurred to this paper a, f- a few times, and we've talked about the jokester, the dominator, the naysayer, the silent plotter, the rambler. And today we're going to talk about what might be the most frequent type of meeting killer you'll see in meetings, the multitasker. Yeah. And and I'll tell you something you and I were talking about before we started the cast. One of the underlying problems with the article that I haven't talked about before, this is our last cast, so I want to talk about it now. And, And I mentioned this to a friend of mine the other day and he didn't get it. And that is that the problem with the article is it implies that it's the people in the meetings that are the problem with meetings. And that could be true, but it, if we want to be professional managers, the only way we can say that's true is if we do everything we can to run an effective meeting. And frankly, if you go to a meeting and the meeting's terrible, it's probably not mostly the attendees' fault. It's mostly the managers or the meeting leaders, the facilitators' fault. <laughs> yeah, you think? So I, I have <laughs> yeah. to say... Yeah. So I have to say that this is a classic case where they've actually come up with some good recommendations. And of course, they're manager recommendations, but they imply that the problem with meetings are the people in the meetings. And the solution, of course, as always, is comes from a management perspective. Not because all the best answers come from managers. That's not true. But rather because somebody does need to be in charge of meetings. And it's not hard to be good at meetings. It's just a discipline. And those of you who have been through it know what it's like when you, when you go through the process. You push people a little bit harder and they get way better at meetings and they say, wow, this is so good. So in this case, we're going to talk about multitaskers. We're going to talk about what they do and then how you can change their behavior and when you can, when you have moments where you can actually change their behavior. And then we'll finish off and go over the, the guidance that the journal gave, which actually was pretty good. Yeah, good. Okay. okay. So, you know, maybe it was just that the article is about obvious and or egregious behaviors, but the fact that multitasking didn't get a starring role, that, that kind of surprised me. Yeah, I think, look, it's, the, it's certainly the most frequent thing. Uh, it's just not obvious. And I think in the case of journalism, it's not dramatic, right? And I think, frankly, they didn't want to try to tear people's Blackberries or iPhones or Androids out of their hands. It is the worst. It is the most frequent. It's not the hardest to stop, though. It's just by far the biggest pandemic we've got. People think it's okay to multitask, and it's just dumb. It's just and, pa- and pandemic is right, right? I mean, this, this, thing, this thing has gotten out of control. And mobile phones and mobile devices certainly contribute to that, right? I mean, before that, people yeah. multitask, but it's just there's just so many distractions, and people aren't professional. They allow themselves to go down that path. Yeah, and they go to twenty meetings is when they start their career, and nobody corrects them, and they see everybody else multitasking. And multitaskers all have enough arrogance to say, "Oh, I'm listening, and I'm multitasking too." 
I'm, I'm texting and I'm, oh, I'm listening. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, that's what my kids do. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 I'm talking to them. We're sitting there having a great conversation. And then their phone buzzes or whatever, and they pick it up. And they're texting with their friends and say, oh, go ahead, Dad. I'm listening. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's I don't not think what so. I call listening. That's what I call, that's what I call thumb, thumb typing. Yeah. yeah. Look, multitasking is a big problem. We see her in here all the time. Look, my favorite one was years ago before cell phones when it was just laptops and people were on conference calls. They mute their phone and then you say something to them and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Will you say that again? And it's a big joke as if, oh, no, you were garbled in transmission. No, dude, you were doing email. You were on mute. Somebody had to say your name twice. You were totally multitasking. And the worst part of multitasking on the old conference calls was when people, all of a sudden, people wouldn't have their, when the cell phones came out and people started pinging each other or they're using IM and they forgot to mute their computer and all the IMs went off right after somebody said something really dumb, right? Oh, God, this, I can't believe this guy said that. And you hear bing, 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 bing all over the conference calls. <laughs> yeah, and look, another one, people taking notes on their laptop during a meeting. Look, you tech managers, you tech individuals, you're nuts, Okay. Don't even get in an argument with me. We will, we will win that argument, okay? You don't take notes on a laptop. It doesn't work. I was giving a talk recently in college, and I scolded the kids. I'm like, I don't know why your professors allow you to do that, but it makes your notes less effective. You may like it, but it makes your notes a lot less effective. Look, all these, all these behaviors, talking on your phone, texting on your phone, doing email on your phone, web surfing on the phone, looking something up for your presentation later during the meeting, it's all multitasking and it all ruins your meetings. And managers, if you have multitasking happening in your meetings, look no further for the reasons why they start late, the meetings start late because people think, well, I can show up late because it's a really not effective meeting because we're multitasking and they finish late and they don't accomplish things and then people don't like them. And then that's a downward spiral because they're like, well, I don't like, I have to go. So I'm going to try to be effective in my own way rather than giving it up to the team. Then the problem is these distractions, multitasks, don't just make the individual less effective at both things they're doing, the meeting and the distracting other tasks, whether it's texting or email or web surfing or whatever. They make everybody at the meeting less effective. That's the key, right? And if, if you're going to yeah. a meeting and you're not expected to participate or you can't contribute, you can't participate, why are you at the meeting in the first place, right? The, don't go. Don't go. Yeah, don't, don't go. go. Yeah, just don't go. Yeah. There's a great story about the Queen of England. When cell phones first came out, when someone's mobile went off in her presence, she's known to have said to them, you better get that. It might be someone important. <laughs> you know, From the Queen. With, with an arched... With an archly worded phrase like that. And look, look, guys, you gather for meetings. Meetings are expensive. Somebody sent me a meeting clock recently where you can enter salaries in there and calculate them. I've, I've not done it yet. I've got the manual and everything. I want to use it. Thank you for sending it, whoever sent it. But, but the fact is, as managers, there are better ways to run meetings. You can run meetings people love to come to. We've got a meetings cast. We've got several casts on meetings. We're going to reposition or retalk through some of the things we mentioned in that cast, in this cast, to address the behavior of people who multitask in your meeting. Now, you know the problem. I'm a manager or I'm a facilitator of the meeting. How do I change that behavior? What, what can I do to fix this yeah. problem, this insidious problem? It's easy. Yeah, the, the question really is how and when, and there are three things you can do. Something before, something during, and something after. The before is you set ground rules, the during is you enforce the ground rules, and the after is you give negative feedback or just give feedback 
when somebody breaks the ground rules. This sounds so boring, dude. We've talked about all this kind of stuff. I know. Before. It's, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I had to I say it. I had to say it because somebody's thinking it, right? I I mean, somebody's thinking it. I grew up when I was nine years old. I think I want I want to teach management and be boring. In fact, one of the great joys of my life is not being boring while teaching a boring subject. Because good management is boring. It's not sexy. It's not pretty. And if you go back and listen to all these casts in a row, guys, you'll hear us saying the same things over and over again. And we mean it. If you learn a pattern of effective behavior around meetings, you don't need to have a whole lot of creativity. The basic problems that come up in meetings can all be dealt with basically the same way. We're just trying to meet you where you are when people come to us and say, well, this guy was doing this and this guy was doing that. And so we're answering each one of those one at a time and we're saying the same things over and over again in many cases, which is ground rules, enforcing those ground rules and giving negative feedback. Look, guys, first rule, if you want your meetings to be more effective, send a message that you intend to have meetings that are efficient and effective by saying there are going to be some ground rules. We're not simply going to sit down here together and contemplate our navels. We're going to actually have some rules. In the same way that we have rules for finance, we have rules for travel, we have rules for for board meetings, we have rules for where your desk is and for how how you use your computer and how you badge in and out. There's some simple, totally benign ground rules. And high-performance organizations use them and find that meetings are awesome. People are like, I want to go to that meeting because it runs well. And what you do is for a standing meeting you have, although it doesn't have to be a standing meeting, if you're going to have a two-hour long meeting, spend five minutes in the beginning and agree on ground rules, even if it's only going to be one-time meeting, and you'll get a much more efficient and effective two hours. But if, particularly for your standing meetings where people are going to have them week after week after week, have a ground rules section where you take 15 minutes and say, let's agree on the ground rules that we're going to have for all these meetings. And again, we have a podcast for how to set ground rules and how to have the ground rules meeting. Okay. If you already have ground rules, but for some reason you left these ground rules out, just say to everybody, hey, look, we've got some ground rules. I'm going to add a couple of more to help us be more effective. And here are those ground rules. The first one, we have an entire podcast about it. It's called the fruit bowl, right? Yeah, Um, we do. Put a bowl in the middle of the table. And tell everybody to put their smartphones or their cell phones in it, period. No more email multitasking, no more texting, no more phone calls. And the simple fact is, tell them, leave your buzzer on, not, not your ringer, obviously. And let the, let the phones all buzz against each other. Like people kind of laugh about it. And there will be people who literally will start to reach for their phone because they know it's their particular ringer. And you say, no, guys, just leave them there. It'll be okay. It'll absolutely be okay. And the building won't burn down. And look at folks. I mean, some of you are thinking, well, that's cheesy. No executive would dare do something (laughs) as cheesy as that. And there are senior, senior folks that do this stuff, right? We had had a client on on Wall Street who did this. Very senior executive. Yeah, managing director, like vice chairman, a vice chairman. I mean, as high as it gets without being the chairman. Somebody was saying to us, we're worried that you won't be able to keep the broker's interested and focused during this session. I said, I, I usually don't have any problem with that. And, and she says, yeah, look, do what I do, man. I, we don't mess around. They, they come into my room. They come into my meeting. We're quick and more efficient. And all the blackberries go in the fruit bowl. And uh, people, people say, what? And I look at them and say, in the bowl. <laughs> and she was, <laughs> she was not to be trifled with. There was no question about it. Why do they do that? They don't do it to assert themselves. They do it to make the time that people have together effective and efficient. Yeah, this lady did not have to assert herself. <laughs> Everybody yeah, knew who was in charge there. Yeah. <laughs> I was certainly aware that she was in charge of us at that moment. 
Next thing, tell, tell everybody electronics on stun, okay? Make sure everybody's ringer on their cell phone is on vibrate only, okay? Folks, frankly, some people like other people knowing that their phone is ringing and that they're, they're important, right? They want people to know. I know people who specifically put their phone on bright, vibrate and then put their phone on the hard table so everybody knows when it vibrates, which is just so, oh, God, narcissistic. It's incredible. So that's what we mean by electronics on stun. If you want to put ringers on vibrate or cell phones on vibrate or pagers on vibrate, fine. And then lastly, and this is kind of the triumvirate, you could separate it and make individual ones if you want, but you could just make it one ground rule too, and that's no phone calls, no emails, no texting, period. And this is really the big one, and it essentially serves the purpose of the fruit bowl. The, the fruit bowl was invented to limit the temptation of people having their phones and violating this original ground rule. Now, Mike and I happen to like the fruit bowl. It's, it's so in your face. You're not going to be able, you know, you're literally going to have to be uncomfortable for a minute parting with your fifth appendage, your cell phone. Well, and I think the other thing is it just makes it clear that everybody's in the same boat. Your phone is not the only one buzzing in the fruit bowl. Everybody's is. And it just gives you some, I don't know, sense of uh, community. Like we're all in this together a little bit. Yeah. We're that's a good suffering. point. I didn't think of it that way, but you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like and, an A, and, and it's like an a meeting. <laughs> yeah, if they're all in there together and they do start vibrating, it is kind of funny. And people look. And after a meeting or two, they stop even noticing that they're vibrating. There you because go. they've broken the habit of being Pavlov's dog and the bell rang. And so they start salivating. The second thing, so those are the ground rules we recommend. Okay, but we got to set the ground rules. But I am constantly amazed about how unwilling managers are or meeting facilitators having set the ground rules to actually enforce them. You have to enforce them. Yeah. They know it's happening in front of them. They know it's totally inefficient. They know it's ineffective and they tolerate it. And here's the thing, guys, the reason you set ground rules is it's, first of all, you want agreement. Okay. And, and by the way, sometimes the agreement is I'm going to set the ground rule because I'm the meeting leader and people will allow that. They understand that you have some role power relative to the meeting. You're not being a tyrant by setting some simple ground rules to keep people within the boundaries of a, a reasonable path to success. Okay. But here's what happens by having ground rules and by posting them and agreeing on them. The ground rules serve as their own enforcement mechanism. You don't have to enforce everything by pointing people out and calling people out and embarrassing people when they do things you don't want to do. You don't have to tell people, stop doing that. You simply have to tell people, hey, give them a reminder about the ground rules they agree to. They're a bit like a sergeant at arms standing in the corner waiting to say to somebody, hey, that's not in the ground rules. And it's the ground rules that are actually telling people what to do, not you. You actually gain stature by doing a little bit of work in advance, and it's not you being the dark mark in your meeting. So how do you enforce ground rules? It, it's easy. You either do it during the meeting by reminders, which we'll cover, or you do it after the meeting through feedback, negative feedback, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's so easy to enforce ground rules in a, in a meeting. And there are two simple phrases, two simple concepts you need to learn. Okay. First of all, when a multitasker first looks at their phone or they inadvertently forget and they will forget and open up their laptop Right? Quickly nail them. Nail them, nail them the first time and make sure they get the message, right? No, no, no. Yeah, no, 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 no. no, no. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, here, I, get all, I get all the bad press for being the hard guy, and you're out there slamming laptops on people's Kill. fingers. Kill. I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, you try to ignore it the first time they do something. 
If you call people on their behavior too soon, if they're on their phone, for instance, and you say, hey, no texting, they say, oh, I was just looking at my calendar. Even if they weren't looking at their calendar, they're essentially saying, you can't prove it, and I want to be defensive because you're pulling the trigger too fast, okay? But once they start tapping on keys, once they start flicking through screens and so on, it really is good to say something. Now, here's the thing. What you do is you say something that enforces the ground rules without making you the policeman, without calling them out. So the first time, actually what would amount to the second time, uh, you see somebody violate the rules, you say, hey, sorry guys, or sorry folks, ground rules here, no texting. Three parts. First you apologize, sorry guys, and then you say the words ground rules. In other words, you remind them, we agreed on this before. This is not me enforcing something. This is me reminding you that you were going to self-police. And then you say the ground rule that you're actually asking them to abide by, which is, in this case, we're using no texting. So again, three parts. Sorry, folks, or sorry, guys. Ground rules, no texting. Okay, Just that. You're brief. You're polite. You're not mentioning someone's name. You're not looking at the offender. You mean you're not staring him down? Oh, come on. Nah, no fun. No fun. You're no fun. No fun. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and the beauty of this is the ground rules is what upsets people, but not you. All you're doing is saying, hey, I'm just being professional here and asking us to, to abide by what we agreed to before. You'd be amazed how much easier it is to get people to behave when you're, all you're doing is reminding them of the ground rules. Right. They're going to complain anyways <laughs> to their peers. Oh, come right? on. This is the crazy part. People come to me and they say, well, what should I do? I say, well, here's what you do. And I tell them this. And they're like, wow, that sounds really good. Like, yeah. And they go, well, but people are going to complain. I'm like, dude, if your goal is to have your directs never complain about you, get out of management today and don't ever come back. <laughs> By the yeah. way, if you're yeah. a licensee, we'll give you your money back. I mean, really? Is that your concern that somebody somebody's doing something wrong? And you're afraid they're, they're going to complain to their peers when you enforce a reasonable and professional standard? It's like somebody saying to you, you know what? I'm not a badge person. I'd rather have be the only person in this company that doesn't have a badge. Can I do that, please? Right? I mean, it's like, no, that's not the way it works. You have to have a badge. You have to have an ID. You have to have a corporate uh, charge account to go down to the cafeteria. You have to fill out your expense report a certain way. If you present on budgets, you have to use this certain spreadsheet thing. You can't deli- you can't, you can't have macros of this type in your spreadsheets. You can't go to these websites on the internet because the, the firewall won't accept, you know, my, my brother works for Wells Fargo and there's a firewall that he can't get to our podcast. Um, so he has to listen at home. <laughs> I think his wife hates him for it. And like, <laughs> you listen to your little brother again? But look, that's what you're doing. You're essentially a, a, you're, you're applying a, a flexible ground rule to a specific situation in order to get better results. If you're going to be worried about what people think about you, well, you're, you're in the wrong business. The result of insisting in a polite way is a lot less multitasking your meeting that's the point. And if somebody complains, but the meeting gets better, his peers will tell him to shut up because the meetings are better. And they'll, they'll start saying, dude, just stop doing it, okay? If you yeah. didn't do it, he wouldn't have to pinch you for it. At some point, do I need, do I get to really just crucify this guy or? No, no that's not, that's a bad word. That's a, that's a bad word. <laughs> but, but no, you don't. But in the first case, you say, sorry, guys, ground rules, no texting, generic, general, not looking at the guy. The second time he does it, you say his name, Robert, and then please, and then 
no texting. You never tell somebody to stop doing something when you're enforcing ground rules. The ground rules are something we're supposed to adhere to. If you say stop, you're taking it away from a ground rule and you're telling them as their boss or as the meeting leader what to do and what not to do. And you end up having to spend some of your political capital and you may end up, what ends up happening is you ding the person more and that may cause them to be less motivated to be focused on and they may get their feelings hurt and people do. Well, the way you said it, though, didn't sound like you were you were getting angry or you were putting any special emphasis on his name. Or I mean, you were being polite, almost maybe even smiling when you said that. Did you did you mean to be that polite when you said it? Yeah, yeah. You look, okay. if you're the boss already, if you're a manager, you don't need to do things to make yourself appear to be the manager. You just say, "Hey," and I got to tell you, "Please" is a wonderful thing, a great word. I've told people before. My favorite phrase is, "Yes, please, thank you." Usually when, hey, would you like some more coffee, right? Because please is a positive word. People don't mind the word please. And you're not begging. You're not suggesting that you're begging this person and that he has the power to continue doing it. You're just being a polite professional. Let's not offend if we don't have to. So we say his name, and that's what's really important. You get his attention. Robert, please, no texting. And you've used his name. You look at him when he does it. And at this point, it's rare somebody doesn't get it. Yeah, okay. All right, so meeting's over. What other opportunities do we have post the meeting? Oh, I thought for a minute there you were saying the podcast is over. When you said meeting's over, I'm like, okay, podcast is done. Wait, now we got to do part three. Um, we yeah. still have more to talk about. Sorry. Lots of it. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you know the feedback model, this part is pretty easy. If you don't know the feedback model, if you've never heard us talk about the feedback model, if you've not listened to those cast guys, don't think that we're about to teach you the feedback model. Don't do it. But, of course, for those of you who do know the feedback model, this is going to be really easy. It's as simple as this. Robert texts a couple of times in the meeting, and you decide, hey, you want to mention it to him. You just want to get him back on the right track for the next meeting. That's the whole point of negative feedback is to focus on future behavior. And so you say, as you're walking out, or maybe everybody else leaves and there's just Robert and you in the room, or maybe you see him an hour later at his cube and you're reminded you need to tell him this, or maybe you see him in your one-on-one later in the day, or you see him in the cafeteria the next morning, and you say, hey, Robert, can I share something with you? Robert says, sure. You say, when you violate the ground rules about texting and emailing during the meeting, it makes us all a little less efficient. Can you change that for me? That's it. Okay, that's it. Simple, right? When you do this thing you did, it makes us less efficient. Can you change that in the future? That's it. Another one. I can say, hey, can I use some feedback? Robert says, or I can say, can I share something with you? Or can I make an observation? Robert says, sure. I said, when you text during a meeting, it's against the ground rules. It slows us down. Can you stick the ground rules in the future? Robert says, sure. And I would say, thanks, dude. Sweet. Or if I want to be clever, I'd say, sweet, dude. Thanks. Right? Now, people give me a hard time about talking like that. But I know I've, I've been accused of being intimidating, which I think is silly because I'm not intimidating. You just feel intimidated around me. I'm big. I, I can be direct. And I use casual words in order to reduce any chance that negative feedback stings. And so... I'm telling you guys, you can say thanks, dude, and you can you use the word dude, and you can use sweet, and you can say cool, and you can say awesome. And if you're a manager, you don't realize how big your sign is. Remember, your directs do not think of you as a nice person. They think of you as their boss. Believe me, it's true. You may, in fact, be a nice person. I suspect you are. That doesn't mean your directs think of you that way. They think of you as their boss. And, and so, therefore, when you're dinging them, if, if you want to use that crass phrase for what professional negative feedback is, 
it doesn't hurt to be polite. It doesn't hurt to try to maintain casualness. It doesn't hurt to relax a little bit because the whole point of negative feedback is to change future behavior, which means we're not focusing on the past. We're not angry about what happened. If you're angry about what happened, you ought not to be given feedback because we're trying to do it in a relaxed way. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a lot more pleasant to give feedback that way. It's a lot more pleasant to receive yeah, it. it and it's a lot more effective, yeah. which is what we really care about. It's more effective. Yeah. This article then that Wall Street Journal was interesting because, well, we love the journal. So it's first thing. Let's say that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the one, it's the one journal that I read every single day without fail. But, right. you know, we, we, we often don't agree with some of the writing that we find in the journal when it comes to management advice. This is an exception. We liked a lot of the recommendations. We did. Um, when we agree with them, it's usually with platitudes. But, but the, the problem with most journalism when it comes to management is they're not managers and they don't know what they're talking about. And they're just repeating what other people say. And there's a lot of people who say a lot of dumb things about management. Now, I have to tell you something. One of my favorite things I've ever learned in my life. In fact, I mean, I'm sure till the end of my life, I'll, long after I'm retired and only playing golf, hanging out with my family, I will be reading the journal every day. It is a great joy for me, and I remember the first time I heard the phrase, if it's not in the journal, it didn't happen. Which is, to, and the, by the way, the journal didn't, that's not a marketing line from the journal. That's a reader saying, that's how powerful the journal is. Now, guys, believe me, there are other great journalistic papers. The, the New York Times is fabulous. The, the Economist is great. The, the London Times is good. Uh, the Globe and Mail is a good paper. There are lots of good papers. If you're in Silicon Valley, the mercury is really, really good, particularly covering technology. But our point is they're often wrong when they give management advice because they're not managers. They don't know how to manage. Editors really aren't, even though there are managers in journalism, they don't really manage very well. They edit other writers, but that doesn't necessarily make them a good manager. And journalism organizations don't think about themselves as being having lots of managers in them. However, Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get the right people to ask questions of, and they get good information. In this case, they did. This article had some solid recommendations. We know they're solid because we made many of them seven years ago. We've been repeating them ad nauseum for those of you who have been with us since the beginning. We've used them for 20 years ourselves, and many of you have written to us and said, you're not going to believe it. It worked. <laughs> so, so let's it. run through the journal's, yeah, the journal's recommendations. Mike, I got to tell you something. On my tombstone, it's going to say, you're not going to believe it. I'm dead. <laughs> um, so the first thing they said is set a clear agenda. Yep, we definitely said that. It's core. It's simple. We have a cast about how to create agendas. It's really, really easy. We even have a cast about how to create a super simple agenda if you want to start with baby steps, which you really don't need. But if you have to have it, we've done it for you. Go back and listen to that. Just go to the website and search for agenda cast and you'll find it. Second thing, impose a no devices rule. Well, it sounds like the fruit bowl to me or devices on stun. Or they say schedule periodic tech breaks for email, text, and phone calls. We really do recommend the no devices, the fruit bowl thing, putting devices on stun. If you're going to have a six or eight hour meeting, though, you need to start having in the morning. If you've got a four hour meeting in the morning, you need to have breaks about every 90 minutes. And you don't have to have breaks longer than 10 minutes. And yes, there's a cast explaining all this. And if you're going to go all day, then you need breaks every hour in the afternoon. And those of you who have been to our conferences, you know that's the way we run things. Okay? We eat our own dog food here at Manager Tools. 
Next, redirect people back to the agenda when they ramble or digress. Yeah, exactly. Set ground rules and enforce ground rules, including no rambling and parking lot. Okay? Draw out quiet people by asking them in advance for a specific contribution. We agree with that, generally speaking. We don't think of that as a management behavior so much as, or a meeting behavior so much as a managerial behavior based on knowing your people, but nothing wrong with it, certainly. Next, do a round robin when appropriate to allow everyone to contribute. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I think uh, round robins, I think, are a little overrated. I think you need them for a staff meeting, but uh, I, I can see many cases where it would work. Uh, we don't make it a blanket recommendation. Ask early for objections and keep them from derailing discussions later. Yes, absolutely. We don't, we haven't given this specific guidance, but we like the idea that it's good to separate discussion and brainstorming and creativity and so on from the actual decision and action planning, which happens after a decision. Because of course, a decision is not just a choice, but actions afterwards. And look, cut people off who are derailing the momentum. Put their comments in the parking lot and say to them, we're off track. You know, we're going to run over against the agenda and we have another item to cover. We don't have an unlimited amount of time for every item, every topic in the list. It's an actual agenda and there are start and stop times for everything. Limit the length of slide presentations. Yes, this is always a great one. I tell people the ratio of slides to minutes is one to ten. And they said, yeah, that's about right. We agree. I said, really? I said, yeah, ten slides a minute. I said, yeah, you're off by a factor of a hundred. A hundred. Yeah, one one slide per 10 minutes. And of course, by definition, you have to limit the length of slide presentations because that's what an agenda does. You tell somebody, you got 12 minutes or you got eight minutes or you got 21 minutes, whatever it is, okay? And if you're a manager and you're running a meeting and somebody else is going to present something and you don't have the deck, at least ask them how many pages they've got. And when they say, I've got 20 pages and you say, you've got five minutes, that'll never work. You better compress that down to two or three because I promise you all the executives in that room are immediately going to be looking for the last page in your deck. Well, I wish they wouldn't do that. Wow. Well, okay. <laughs> they if we do that for a reason. Ride. Yeah, because they're busy wanting to get somewhere else, right? Interrupt people who talk too long or talk to each other. Absolutely, of course. Set a ground rule and then enforce the ground rule, the agenda and the ground rules about one person talking at a time and being respectful or good listening if you want to include those as ground rules. And then the last one is set an ending time for the meeting and stick to it. Well, yeah, sure. That's the end of a meeting time, right? That's what an agenda is. The last item has an end, has an end time. And the, the last thing on the agenda is always close or adjourn or break or whatever. And the way you end a meeting on time is you say, okay, time's up. I'm leaving. And you walk away. People will learn really quickly that we're not going to be sloppy in the last five minutes. We're not going to ship products late because all of our meetings run late. We're going to start meetings on time and finish meetings on time, and we're going to meet our deadlines. You see this over and over and again in the great companies and the great divisions and the great organizations. They start and stop on time. They get things done on time, and they ship products on time. And that's it. It was a great article. We loved it. It had cute illustrations. I don't know that they're still available whenever you're listening to this. But we talked about the jokester and the dominator and the naysayer and the silent plotter and the rambler, which the journal said was the toughest. And we talked about multitasking last because even though it wasn't one of the key ones, it was talked about in the, in the article and it's a hugely benign problem that we've got to address. Uh, and then we went over the, um, the reasons why the article was actually pretty good. They had some good guidance. Guys, multitasking is so prevalent and we've got to stop. It's really not hard to fix and we've got to fix it because if everybody at your meeting is doing something else during the meeting, why are we even meeting? 
if you're going to have a meeting, it makes no sense to not encourage people focusing during the meeting. Meetings are expensive. We have an obligation to our firm not to throw the firm's money away. And we're the ones as managers that make meetings ineffective and inefficient. There you go. Thanks, my friend. Enjoyed it. You bet, partner. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one.